Hello and welcome to CICK News. CICK News is your local and regional news coverage provided by me, Pamela Hassan, and Dan Messick for Smithers Community Radio. This news program is funded by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada, and our aim is to provide local coverage on stories that affect the lives of Northerners like you. According to the site birdscanada.org, the Christmas Bird Count, or CBC, is North America's longest-running citizen science project. People in more than 2,000 locations throughout the Western Hemisphere participate in the CBC each year. It started in 1900, which means it's been going for nearly 125 years. With the annual Christmas Bird Count, information is collected by thousands of volunteers, which then forms one of the world's largest sets of wildlife survey data. The results are used by conservation biologists, environmental planners, and naturalists to assess the population trends and distribution of birds. The count brings out community members to collect statistics on as many different species and individuals of those species as possible over the course of a single day. As I've discovered from personal experience, you don't have to be good at bird identification. You just have to want to help. I look forward to this event in Smithers every December. To hear how the 2023 Smithers bird count went, I'm going to speak with Rosamond Pojar and Frank McDonald. Rosamond Pojar is a local botanist and naturalist who's been teaching and writing about BC plants, birds, and natural history for almost 40 years. Rosamond sets up our local bird count every year, and she recently compiled the 2023 results. She and I will meet at the Willowdale entrance to the Smithers Perimeter Trail. And this year, I went birding with a new friend, Frank McDonald. Frank is an avid outdoors person and birder. And his wonderful legacy, with help from other members of the Maurice Outdoor Recreation Society, is the establishment and maintenance of the Barrett Hat Trail Network. The trail network includes excellent maps, interpretive signage, benches, and a shelter. There are lookout points and trails, and the trails are wide and beckoning. And on one of those trails is where I'll speak with Frank. Rosamond, you're our local compiler on behalf of Birds Canada. What does that involve? Well, compiler is the person who actually ultimately, at the end of the count, takes in all the counts and literally compiles the data on a spreadsheet from each group. And that then gets added up to the totals and then it gets entered into the Audubon data entry portal. And... I have to also enter all kinds of things like number of people in a party, number of parties, weather conditions, the number of the people, the people who were participants. Websites like Birds Canada make a pretty big deal of the annual Christmas bird count data because it forms one of the world's largest sets of wildlife survey data and is used to assess population trends and bird distribution. How valuable can that be? Oh, I think it's, it's really valuable. We have to accept the fact that it's not completely scientific because you, it, it's not like a proper birding study where you have controls and things, but it does show trends over the years. It shows a really good trends, and it's, it's a really good guideline as to what the birds are doing in wintertime and whether there are changes being seen and things are declining or things are increasing or whatever. So... It is very valuable. Yeah. Have you noticed any worrying trends in the Smithers area? Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely seeing changes as a result of changing in climate, 
I mean, for example, we I can remember when years when we never got northern flickers. Now they're they're here all winter. There are certain species like the finches, which are unpredictable. You can't you you've no idea what they're going to do. One year there'll be lots, and another year there won't be, and that that's not really a indication of climatic changes or whatever, it's because of availability of food, but other species, like robins, varied thrushes, sparrows that, that should really have migrated south, you'll get a few staying here if they've got a good food source, and we're start now starting to see a few species, like American goldfinch, We've only last two years had it on the bird count and that it looks like it's moving into the territory. Now that could be related to climate change. It could be just that they're expanding their territory. But uh, yeah, no, there's definitely a relationship um, with, for some species with the climate. Others, it's just a cyclical thing. Sometimes like nuthatches have high years and low years. They're a resident winter resident but for some reason they go they go up and down in numbers mm. well I have a Canada goose that's been hanging around the fairgrounds lately I, I'm sure he's not injured because he flies away when the dogs chase him but it's very hard to watch because you know he can't get out of here now it'd be hard for a goose to migrate alone wouldn't it I don't know actually that's an interesting question I'm just curious why he's still here yeah I didn't get him on the bird count, so I can't record it. Yeah, he wasn't there then. But, He's... I mean, that's... Yeah, you wonder what happened. I, my, my first reaction would be that he was injured or that he was sick, that something is not is bothering him. I mean, mm -hmm. there, are, there are troubles with swans and, and geese with consuming too much lead from lead bullets. But, or fishing gear. Yeah, so I, I don't know... Let's talk about this year's bird count. How many people helped out this year? Well, there was actually 47, and I forgot to mention the little girl who's um, who's on the front page of the news. <laughs> so there's actually 48. <laughs> yeah, it's a good turnout, really good turnout. And there could have been more. I had several people phone me last, last minute. There could have been more, but I, usually they like to know the exact number of people that are out there because... They also measure effort, so if, if you've got 40 people out there doing the bird count, you're more likely to see the birds than if you've got 20. So effort is really important. And so mm. knowing how many, exactly how many birders are out there is very important. Even if they're not good birders, they're likely to see something and that maybe the other people didn't see. And so. Yeah. There were people who were also watching uh, bird feeders, and so yeah. that means if you can't get out to help with the count for whatever reason, you can still be part of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because we have to recognize that some people just don't want to be out or aren't mobile enough. And we try to let the people in town, by putting it in the paper ahead of time, that we'd like people to watch the feeders, but if they do it, they should really let us know, because then the counters who are out in the field don't count that feeder if it's been watched right really th thoroughly through the day the only one that i know of is our feeder that we have somebody comes by and he counts what he sees in a few minutes he's there and so i have to subtract his count from my count or alternatively if he doesn't do it then i've got to count but, yeah. 
Well, I know that Frank and Laurel and my group were very interested in the feeders as we walked by them. In well, town. that's in the winter, especially in the cold weather, like the weather we've just been having. That's where the birds are. They're near a food source. They're right. not very far away from it. Right. I noticed that my feeder was very active last week because of the cold. Yes, very. I but had to go and fill the suet cages twice uh, yeah, yeah. every day. That's normal. They, they, they're they hanging very, very close to a food source because it's using up a lot of energy to go looking for food and if it's cold. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> and how many birds did you see? It was actually just slightly under 4,000. Like wow. And how many different species? I think... 51. 51. Yeah, with one additional species that was seen on count week, so far, anyway. One that we hadn't seen on the day of the count. That was here in the count circle three days before or three days after the actual count date. We don't record numbers, we just say that species was present in the area. Right. So if we'd seen the Canada goose, we could have included him. Yeah. We have had Canada geese here before, and the weather certainly was fine because they had open water on the river. Yeah. Right. So we've talked a little bit about the weather conditions, but let's talk about it specifically. What does that contribute to what we see? I mean, we started out with a bit of a snowstorm, so yeah, we saw no. nothing at the fairgrounds until we got to my feet. Well, it was poor first thing. It's two problems. One is that, again, it's a bit like, you know, the birds are staying close to the feeders or in the bushes because it wasn't very nice. It was ice fog first thing in the morning, snowing fairly heavily. But the other thing is it's really poor visibility and today it would be really poor visibility. So you don't see as far, you can't see the contrast as easily as to notice whether there's a bird or not, except when you see the ravens flying over, crows flying over. But So it does make a big difference, visibility. This weird weather, you know, unseasonably mild and then unseasonably cold, it's, it's hard on everybody, isn't it? It's hard on the people who are counting, so it's got to be hard on the birds. Yeah, I think so, although some of the most exciting counts have been on the coldest days. <laughs> Way better than the ones on rainy, warm days. Sure. But just again, because they're more predictable, we know where to look for them. I mean, we've, we used to always joke that the counting would be the coldest day of the year, which it was for quite a few years. Minus 32, minus 33 or 4 was close to the coldest we've ever had. Yeah. And then it messes up the data. I mean, if you get consistently unseasonably mild from year after year, then maybe you'll see changes. But if you're just doing, you know, up one year and down the next, it's, it's a little more difficult to interpret the data. I suppose as a scientist, that's what you're going to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the species. Which species of birds do we typically see here? And were there any that were unusual this year? Well, typically, black-capped chickadees are the most abundant of all of them. And then crows and ravens are the next two in terms of abundance. And then most of the time we'll see juncos. Most of the time we'll see some kind of Seed feeders like evening grosbeaks, um, if you're out in the bush, pine grosbeaks, uh, oh, not hatches, right, that's another one that we mm. mostly, and woodpeckers. Right. The, the downy and hairy woodpeckers, 
we saw more pileated woodpeckers this year, which was interesting. What else? Well, we see eagles. Right. And we might see some kind of raptor. In the past, we used to always get quite a few raptors if the farmers were, if the cows were calving and they'd die. Calves would die and the farmers would take them off in the bush and we'd, we'd find the birds all hanging around that because it was a reliable food source. Right. This year we got northern goshawk, which was really nice because they're not easy to see and we don't see them a lot, although they tend to stay throughout the year. We got the juvenile northern goshawk and we got a warm kestrel, which was, they've really declined over the years, but they've declined everywhere, not just here. This year we got the American goldfinches, which was really nice. That second year in a row we've got them on the bird count. And we did actually get four, four different kinds of, five different kinds of woodpeckers. Uh, sparrows, we had three unusual sparrows, but they were all at feeders. All three should have gone through, should have passed on. They, I guess they forgot to go or something. Want to think what else we got? I've been seeing waxwings, a lot of waxwings. Oh yes, of course, in town. Yeah, yeah. Waxwings come through at the the Bohemian waxwings come through at this time of year, or they start coming in late or mid mid December. They're coming. They're in. The, they're moving from down from the north, and they get here and they see all these crabapple trees and um, uh, mountain ash trees and everything covered in fruit and it's like oh goody <laughs> and so they'll stay and they'll feed heavily on those and I suppose if they run out maybe they go a little further south they seem to not they don't stay the whole winter so no a lot of them do a lot go further south like down to Vancouver area, there'll be a lot of them. Also. And this year, I don't think there were as many as there have been in other years, but that would be kind of also maybe, in, I'm guessing, indicative of the fact that it was mild and maybe there was still fruit left out in the bush. Mm -hmm. Oh, we've got, we've got two different species of ptarmigan this year. Oh, right. Which is really exciting, and we'll see whether that we made the record book. And four different species of chickadees, which is great. So we had black cat, mountain, chestnut-backed, and boreal. So that was exciting. Right. Yeah. But we didn't get the Clark's nutcracker, which we get occasionally up on the mountain with the feeders. But we didn't get one this year. Or American Dipper. But then uh, you could have looked anywhere for open water, and they, so it, they probably were down on the river. Usually you go to the creeks and stand there and wait until they show up. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned open water, so we saw several ducks. Oh, and the ducks, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we get some of them at the sewage lagoons, which are artificially open, kept open, because they're they're pumping the water, so they're eating the water, so to to, to um, as part of the decomposition process. But there was more species this year, and they were out on the river. So yeah, that was kind of neat seeing just one or two. I kind of expected it. I mean, the water with its river was open. Yeah. Um, what happens when it goes cold and freezes over? I don't know. Maybe they all went to the sewage. <laughs> I don't know. 
Now, I don't know whether you'll know the answer to this or not, but I've been wondering about the Canada Goose's webbed feet, whether the cold weather is hard on them or whether it's like hooves and they don't feel very much. The ducks, the geese, the, anything with webbed feet, does that bother them? I don't know if it's any different to any bird's feet. Most birds don't have feathers on their feet, except for ptarmigans. Birds have a system of the hot blood going down the down the uh, leg at the same time as the cold blood is going back up. The heat from the hot blood warms up the cold as it's going back into the body, and the hot blood's going down to the feet, so they don't need feathers. Feathers would be a nuisance. Right because they've got to land on trees and things and grab hold of prey and stuff, so... Very good circulation, then. Yeah, it's a different circulatory system so that it keeps their legs and feet warm. Okay. Well, I was just curious about it because that was a thing. No, no, it's a poor thing. It's a valid... People do ask, how come my ducks don't... or how come my geese don't... feet don't freeze, right? Yeah. So it's probably the same system that's evolved to protect them from freezing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he didn't look like he was uncomfortable. No. He kept sitting down in the snow banks. And And actually, (laughs) snow is a really good insulator if they can get down into it. It keeps them warm. Okay. So, I mean, actually, which sounds weird, but it's actually really a good insulator. It's good to get buried. In fact, the ptarmigan bury themselves down in the snow. And if you're ever out in the bush... And you're walking along, all of a sudden they come out of the snow. It's really scary because <laughs> there's just nothing around. Then all of a sudden, boom, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's quite spectacular. Cool. Yeah. Well, there's lots of animals that are hibernating at this time of year, and they've got to be nice and warm with the snow. Um, Yeah, so. actually, what we had before with no snow is actually way, way more of a problem for for animals uh, that like to, that have that stay active all winter because they don't have that protection. All the little rodents that normally are running around underneath the snow are in big trouble when you get conditions like we had. And then you suddenly get the turn really cold. And, yeah. Yeah. But, so really, ideally, we need that snow cover for a lot of the little creatures. Right. That's frightening impact. Well, I mean, it'll just change. It'll, you'll get an evolution to, for species that can adjust to that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, how long so. it'll take, I don't yeah. know. This year's count is done, but what do you suggest our listeners do if they've never been involved but are curious about it? Well, if people want to be involved, uh, say next year, then they should contact me and I'll put their name down on, our, on my contact list. And, you know, then I will send out the information when I put it together. I usually put together something for the newspaper at the same time so they can read about it in the newspaper. Or alternatively, if there's somebody coming here to visit from a different part of the province, say for Christmas, there is a website that British Columbia field ornithologists put on the list of bird counts and what date they're on. Because they're not all on the same date. There right. is a three-week period during which the bird counts are held, starting around the middle of December and uh, going through till January 5th or something like that, I think. Yeah, Birds Canada also has a map that you can go to yeah, and see yeah. if there's something the, in your area. Sure, yeah. And there's a lot more resources now than there used to be, yeah. So 
Yeah, it's a it's a really fun activity. I don't have a lot of skill with it, but I'm not afraid to say, is that not a dove? Are those not robins? And somebody will look at them and say, oh yes, that's a European collared dove. And so they well, add you the know, details, that's you know. what's good about <laughs> people who have not done any birding before. It's a great opportunity to go out and bird. In fact, it's better to start in winter than it is in summer. It's way less frustrating because we have fewer species and also they're like chickadees, they're typical and they stick around and for a longer period of time. Starting to bird when all the, the migrant birds come back is way more complicated and having to learn a lot of them by song rather than by sight because you can't see them because there's too many leaves on the tree. So I always recommend if you want people to say, well, I would like to do some bird, I suggest they go out in the winter if they can find somebody to go with. Mm -hmm. I try to put new people with experienced birders. Yeah, because then we learn something. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would do if I didn't know what they were, I would describe them as best I could in notes. And if that still didn't help, then we just had to ignore them. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing I could do about it. But it didn't take me long to get it. Yeah. And the other thing you can do is put up a bird feeder because you attract a lot of interesting oh, yeah. birds that way and you get used to which birds you're seeing. Oh yeah. No, bird feeders are great for learning the birds, for sure. I started learning my birds because we wanted to put an addition on the house and so we built the, built the actual foundation and then our house is on clay, glacial clay, and f filled up with water. And we could sit at the window and see all these birds coming down to get drinks of water out of this. <laughs> and that's how I started to get the handle on it, because before that I was a botanist and I was too busy looking at plants. And if the bird didn't show itself really clearly, I was impatient. I didn't have time to figure out what it was. But, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I got hooked. <laughs> the feeders yeah. do that to you, don't they? Yeah, no, it's good. It's a good exercise, good opportunity. and. Well, you know this place here. I mean, this is a great little spot for people who want to learn about birds. The perimeter trail is fabulous. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Thank yeah. you, Rosman. This has You're been welcome. very helpful. A joyous event for me. I look forward to it every year. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. And, you know, we can put you with somebody who goes out, knows, knows a lot. Yeah, I really liked going out with Frank and Laurel this year. I learned quite a bit with them. Frank. It's yeah. very nice and very good. Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. I've enjoyed it a lot. Up next, my conversation with Frank McDonald. The two of us are standing at the entrance to the Barrett Hat Trail Network in snowshoots, ready for a brisk walk to see if we can spot any birds. Frank, one of the reasons you and I were put in the same group this year was my request to be part of the group doing the fairgrounds where I live. But unfortunately, the day started out with a bit of a snowstorm, which discouraged the birds, and we ended up only seeing the lone bald eagle that likes to fish along the river. Were you disappointed with that? No, I, I wasn't, because over the years, you don't know what you're going to find or where you're going to find it or when you're going to find it. So that was a, a good start, and we did see a number of other birds shortly after. 
And I was really excited at how many we found at my feeder. Well, I know in the past couple of years, at least we would stop in front of your trailer and look at the bird feeder. Certainly noted what birds we could see there. I always feel like I'm not contributing to things and then suddenly maybe I am. So I knew the feeder was attracting chickadees and juncos, but you added more specifics to both of those, and it's a great learning opportunity. So when you say specifics... The types of juncos and yeah. chickadees. So I typically in the lowland, you're going to find primarily black-capped chickadees, but there are four different species. Um, usually when you start getting a little bit of elevation, you get mountain chickadees as well, although they can be in the low ground. And then as you get higher in the mountains, you'll see the boreal chickadee. And occasionally, you'll find a chestnut-backed chickadee, which around Smithers have been found on the slopes of Hudson Bay Mountain, Glacier Gulch kind of area. I had one all winter at my feeder here two years ago. So the, the difference in their appearance, you know, the chickadees are about five to five and a half inches, which would be like 13 to 15 centimeters. And the black caps, their name, black cap, and they have a, a black bib, white cheeks, uh, basically gray overall on their wings and, and kind of light white to buffy color underneath. Those are the ones that you hear saying chickadee dee dee or springs here or cheeseburger <laughs> or as one of my friends said her grandchildren would point at each other and say he did it she did it these are great ways to remember what a bird says that's fantastic yeah so and if you can get kind of a mnemonic in your brain for what sounds a bird makes and you quoted one to me when we were birding is about the poor Johnny Peter's pants. Right. <laughs> yeah, Rosamond taught me that one. Right. And so that applies to quite a number of species if, if it helps you remember the sound. Yeah. The, the juncos are a little bit bigger. They're in the 15 to 17 centimeters, so six to six and a half inches. Basically grayish overall, may have a, a darker head. And possibly some lighter brown markings. Uh, basically two types around here would be the Oregon and the slate-colored. And one of the predominant ways that you'll notice them in flight is the white outer tail feathers. Right. I find that with the flickers. Mm -hmm. That a flicker doesn't look... It just looks like a crow, really. It was just sitting. But the minute it opens up, Don't its tell feathers... Don't looks like a crow. Well, but from a distance, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. But then yeah, it goes into flight, and suddenly you see all these colors, and you go, oh, it's a flicker. Yeah, there's quite a burst of colors and quite a variation in the flickers because we have primarily the red-shafted flicker, but we also have some yellow-shafted, and we have hybrids. So you have different markings. You might have a hybrid flicker that's got uh, red mustache or malar and red on the back of its head and then yellow tail feathers. Oh, cool. Uh, you and your daughter, we were waiting for our group to assemble. Yeah. Somebody looked up and, yeah. and spotted a raven with no feathers on no its tail. No tail feathers at all, yeah. <laughs> that was quite unusual and people say, well, how did that happen or why did that happen? And 
I can't answer specifically, but most of the information I have is it's snowshoe hair just ran across down there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I wish I'd you seen it. it. They're pretty. Yeah. Anyhow, is that it could be a stress related to a predatory event. So possible that the predator knocked some tail feathers out, but unlikely to knock them all. But the stress can make them lose their tail feathers. And you ask about, you know, does that make it hard to fly? Well, the tail feathers don't make it fly. It's the wings. Right. But the tail feathers certainly act as a rudder, so landing, taking off, uh, agility might be more difficult without the tail feathers, but it can certainly fly as evidenced. Yeah. Might have to learn some new skills <laughs> yeah. to keep it on course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if it's hungry enough, it will learn those things. Yeah. And apparently it did. Yeah. <laughs> so there were a couple of species that you and your daughter were specifically looking for. I mean, we went, we went to a couple of spots hoping to see a couple of things. Mm -hmm. In past years, we've seen a few different species. A sharp shin hawk we've oh, yeah. seen in the past, and that was we hoped for, but and there's every reason to expect we might have found it because they have been spotted around, possibly a cooper's hawk, but uh, stellar's jays. We had stellar jays, and there was a couple spots last year where we had the uh, northern shrike, and we didn't spot any of those this year. Well, you know, you're taking a chance every time you go out because you don't know what the weather's going to be like, how it's going to affect the birds. Yeah, and just because you look at a, an almanac or a solenoid table and it says it's an activity period doesn't mean it's activity period where you are at that moment. Yeah. I mean, they might be there an hour before or an hour after you leave, but yeah. they're not there at the moment you're there. That's correct. <laughs> but it was still really wonderful to be able to go out and just watch the birds flying around. And, and we had some pretty big variation in mm -hmm. the species. and. Yeah. So some larger flocks, typically like the uh, bohemian waxwings, and they're targeting the ornamental fruit trees, crab apple trees, things like that, and you see them in large flocks. These flocks this year were actually smaller than last year. Last year we saw flocks of up to a thousand birds, so we just haven't seen as many this year, but still nice. Uh, we did see one flock of over 30 crows in one. Yes. They were kind of like, almost like they were mobbing. Cedar waxwings for sure are the, the main big flock. Yeah, I've seen cedar wax wings and bohemian wax wings in town, but I've never seen them out at my house. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to spot something that I think was a wax wing yesterday. Yeah. Well, the, the cedar wax wings are primarily summertime, and you would find them more in damper areas. I find them along creeks, along meadows and swamps. And as I said, the Bohemians are winter, so they're coming south and they're targeting the leftover fruit and things like that. Okay. And what do you see out here in Barrett Hat? Barrett Hat? Um, I've got, at my feeders right now, I have black-capped chickadees and a mountain chickadee. I've got uh, slate-colored juncos, Canada jays, hairy woodpecker, downy woodpecker. I've had a flicker, uh, a hybrid flicker. 
yesterday I had a merlin fly over. Oh, wow. Fly over my feeders. And, you know, at any given time I could have rough grouse in the in the driveway in the yard. Uh, earlier this year, in the, in the summer actually, I had one flock of 30 grouse. One picture I took had 17 grouse in that one frame. Holy! Oh, oh what fun! Mm -hmm. I've noticed this week that I suddenly have both a male and a female hairy woodpecker. I yep. don't think I've had both before. Okay. So we're really hoping for a nested pair this year. So that well, I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation. It's a matter of whether they're nesting where you can see them because yeah. I spent considerable amount of time down in that area over the years at the archery range yes and have seen a, a lot of the uh, harries i'd be willing to say that you could safely say there's a nest there somewhere or multiple nests it's isolated it's an isolated spot with lots of quiet land mm -hmm. and as long as the dog walkers don't go down there too much and interrupt i will see a lot more wildlife and yep. birds mm -hmm. Probably primarily more wildlife if, if you're concerned about dog walkers. Uh, the dogs don't really bother the birds that much. <laughs> my dog and my cat would argue that. <laughs> the crows love to tease my animals, and I don't know whether it's the dog starting it or whether it's the crows, but <laughs> there's a certain I'll rivalry. Let you that out. Anyway, let's go for a walk. Okay. Follow me. This is showing the recreation area, the Highway 16 here, and we're right here right now. So this whole area is part of this area, the recreation area. Now who would have named some of these? Burnt turkey? Lost, <laughs> Lost burnt dog? Turkey. Well actually it was a combination of myself and and the person who lost the dog and uh, <laughs> it was it was Thanksgiving weekend so they put the turkey in and went for uh, a hike on one of the trails with their old dog and at the end of the hike you know it was like you got the dog no I thought you had the dog so the dog got lost and by the time they found the dog the turkey was burnt oh. <laughs> anyhow this would would have been the old road going up to the lookout and now we've built a lot of interconnecting trails. Oh I see. And like we have a, 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 a viewpoint with a bench here, we've got a bench here and uh, the picnic shelter and then down below we're Valley Lake which is a designated as an eBird hotspot and we've got a currently 121 species have been seen there in the last three years. And so we have a trail that goes around the west side of the lake. There's a viewing platform built here, a boardwalk here so you can go around the accompanying wetland, another boardwalk to get back the other side. And this fall we put in another uh, handicap accessible uh, viewing platform nice. right here. Nice. electronically picks up how many people come up and down the trail. Basically the last two years we're estimating between 15 and 1600 people annually are using this trail. Fantastic!
Rosamond Pojar is our most popular columnist in Smithers. Her weekly opinion contribution to the local newspaper, The Interior News, is called The Nature Nut. And if you want to get on the list for next year's bird count, you can contact Rosamond at rpojar, R-P-O-J-A-R, at gmail.com. If you're in the Houston area, I highly recommend a visit to the Barrett Hat Trail. To reach the trailhead, turn west off Highway 16 at Barrett Hat Road, near the top of Hungry Hill. You can park at the trailhead, located 1.3 kilometers from the highway. And at this time of year, it's best to take snowshoes. And finally, if you want to learn more about the national results from this and past year's annual bird count, visit any of the National Bird Organization websites, like birdscanada.org or the Audubon Society. listening to CICK News. If you have any hot tips or news stories you think we should cover, contact us at CICKNews at smithersradio.com or follow us on Facebook at CICK News. CICK News is made possible by the Government of Canada and the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the only organization mandated to financially supporting campus and community radio stations across Canada. You can also catch our fresh shows each week at theskina.com or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to our producer, Pam Hassan, and all of our roving reporters, I'm Dan Messick. Thanks for listening. <laughs>